Today we celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, we hope for a Messiah to come save us from the sin of the world. We light the candle of hope, also known as the prophecy candle, which assures us in the hope we have that God will fulfill what was promised about Jesus in the Old Testament. We read the hope that God spoke and still speaks into our hearts. He prepares us to celebrate the birth of his son. In Isaiah 40, verses one through five, he speaks hope to the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over all of her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the westland of your God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see together that the Lord has spoken. Many years later, the coming of hope begins to unfold. As God once again speaks, this time to a Jewish priest named Zechariah. In Luke 1 verses 11 to 17, we read, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts to the fathers, to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Can you imagine the surprise Zechariah must have experienced? His barren wife to bear a child, and not just any child, the one who would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. This week, may our hearts be filled with the same hopeful expectation as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. Well, it's a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and uh, I don't know how your household functions, but like, I might have slept in on Friday, and I woke up and my wife was gone because she was already knee-deep in the Christmas decorations. Anyone decorate this over the last couple of days, their own home as well? Who decorated before Thanksgiving? You're those people. I see that. But uh, who waits till like the last week? Nobody. Oh, there we go. Uh, so uh, Friday, we were. My wife was decorating. Oh man, I probably shouldn't have said that. But my wife is decorating, and. Later on in the day, our whole family, we were decorating together. We spent some family time. Christmas music was playing. Uh, and it dawned on me at one point while we were decorating the tree that's upstairs, uh, as I sat on the couch and watched. <laughs> and I looked over at one of my children who was sitting on the couch watching. And then another child who was sitting on the couch watching. And then the other child who was sitting on the couch watching. That There was only two of us who were actually decorating, but it was family time and music was playing and it was a beautiful thing. So uh, we just go with it. One of the songs that was playing and one of the songs that's become kind of a theme for us this year uh, for uh, this season as we lead up to Christmas is the song we sang as we ended our worship set, Here Comes the Kingdom, because it really uh, speaks to what Advent is about. Here Comes the Kingdom. And so that was playing, and we sang it here, and that's kind of the, the, the overarching theme of this series as we look at uh, these next few Sundays of Advent. 
depending on your tradition and where you were you brought up, and if you grew up in church, um, Advent may have been a really big thing where you lit a candle and, you, and you, you had readings like we do here, or maybe it was something that you're not as familiar with. Let me give you a little definition of Advent. Advent is a season of preparation. It's a season of waiting. Uh, it's a season of waiting as we live between two realities. The, that word Advent means arrival or coming, and, and we look back on the arrival that has already happened, which was the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and we look forward to the arrival that is to come which is Christ's return. So at today's Advent reading, as you heard and as you see on this wall, it was about hope. That's the word for today. And hope can be a difficult thing this time of year. Hope can be a difficult thing this year. But it really isn't just 2021 or 2020. Hope can be a difficult thing any year. Because life can give us reasons to not feel very hopeful. And that's the beautiful thing about approaching this season uh, of Advent because it, it gives us an opportunity to have a great reminder of the hope that we have. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. As you do, let me give you a little background. Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Titus who was uh, one of Paul's converts in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. He refers to him as my true son in the faith. He was a trusted associate of Paul in his, missionary, in his mission of spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, Titus, along with First and Second Timothy, are considered pastoral epistles. They are uh, sent to his, his uh, well, I guess for lack of a better term, his assistant pastors to help them be leaders in the church. So the purpose that, that he writes to Titus for is to, first of all, give him instructions to appoint elders in the church, so they, the, the, those elders, including Titus, could correct false teaching and confront false teachers. Now, it's a very, very short chapter. It's almost like First Timothy light, but I won't say that because I shouldn't say that. But it, it is, there's a lot of similar themes there. Uh, the first chapter does deal with pointing elders and leaders. Chapters, chapter 2, because we're going we're gonna to be in Titus chapter, Titus chapter 2, the first very first 10 verses of Titus chapter 2 have to deal with giving instructions, you know, Paul giving Titus instructions to give instructions to groups within the church. Verse 2 of chapter 2, instructions for older men. Verse 3, older women. Verses 4 and 5, young women. Verses 6 and 8, young men. And then eventually, uh, instructions for slaves. So very practical, behavior-oriented, uh, you know, here's how you should conduct yourself but not just because he was coming up with, here's how you should conduct yourself. It was based on something, which brings us to our text, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. So, as I mentioned, Paul gives some behavioral instructions to Titus to give through Titus to the church. Old men, young men, old women, slaves, all the people that were represented in the church, he gives these instructions 
But he ties it to some theological statements, not because he's changing the subject all of a sudden in verse 11. It's not like verses 1 through 10 is like, I'm going to talk about practical things, and now I'm going to start talking theology. They're not disconnected. He's not chasing some rabbit trail. He's actually saying, all of this connects. All of this connects. It connects because doctrinal truth, which is, you know, your theology is, is statements about God's character, his work in human history. And the, and the purpose of studying that is to increase our knowledge of God. But we don't just increase our knowledge of God to have knowledge. The ultimate goal is to live lives that are characterized by a growing obedience to God's will. So he gives instructions. He gives, he gives uh, practical, how's, here's how you live your life. But it was rooted and based in theology, but not theology for your theology's sake. Look at verse 11. So verse 11 and 12, I'm going to kind of deal with these first two right up front. Verse 11 starts off with um, that the grace of God was revealed. That word revealed in the Greek is the word where we get the word epiphany. It was epiphanied. It, it, had, it had appeared in the ESV or some, a more formal translation that the grace of God had appeared. And, and, and this is a reference to Christ's incarnation. And, as a, and not just his incarnation, but everything that happens as a result, his life, his death, his resurrection. See, God's grace toward us is based solely on his love and our total inability to meet God's standards. That's what grace is about. But what does Paul say here? He says that it's God's grace that what? It strengthens and motivates us. He doesn't just give us a list of duties in those first few verses and say, and say now perform. That's not the Christian life. And some of you, if you're not a Christian, you may think that what we're about is just following a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's grounding the behavior in the faith that these people have in Christ appearing, his epiphany, and, and how grace was revealed in verse 11. You see that. So Paul's saying God's grace is what strengthens and motivates us as Christians to live beyond the norm, to live beyond doing whatever we want to do or, or even doing what is acceptable. Like, this is acceptable in society. I could just do this. He's like, no, it's God's grace that makes us live different. God's grace strengthens and motivates us to embrace obedience to God's will. Maybe you've grown up in church and you thought obedience to God's will was a matter of willpower and just mustering it up and being good enough, but it's grace. It's grace that says, man, when we celebrate what we've been given, man, there's the strength and the motivation Sometimes we get the other way around. It's like, I don't have enough willpower. Thank God for grace. No, thank God for grace because it gives us the motivation to follow God's will. What's God's will? I, we see that in verse 12. Take a look at verse 12, and I'll, let me read it to you once again. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Now, your translation, if it's more formal than what I read out of, which is the New Living, may say something like, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And I have to be honest with you, I preach out of the NLT all the time because it reads really easy, and we have, like, teenagers on the front row. But uh, I like the ESV sometimes because it gives us a little bit more, well, let me just talk about self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Every interpretation, every uh, translation makes choices, and I like the choices the ESV makes when they're picking English words. How about that? 
Self-control. What is that? Personal authority over natural impulses. That's what we should live like in this evil world. Upright living, all that is respectable and good. And now, those things are not unique to the Christian life. Those things can uh, and certainly would have been uh, something that, that the, the philosophers of the day would have said are, are virtuous and right. But then Paul adds something else. He says godly lives. So he connects behavior with faith in God. So a Christian's life ought to point toward God. Now let's go, let's backtrack to verse 11. The very, half of, the very last half of verse 11, he says, grace has been revealed. What does it say? Bringing salvation to all people. God's grace brings salvation to everyone. It's offered, although we know that not everyone will accept it. But salvation speaks of a deliverance, a deliverance from enslavement to our natural selfish desires. Christ saves us from the destruction that estrangement with God would, would bring. He restores us to our creator. There's a new relationship. There's a new uh, standing. And he creates us into new people who live a new existence. Now jump back to verse 12 with me. The last half of verse 12. Notice what he says that we are to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion, or self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. I didn't mention it earlier when we looked at this verse, but in this evil world, your, your translation may say in this present age, I'm going to say in the already, and you'll see why. See, Paul focuses on the now. This salvation is, is for today. Now, let me stop, and I know, this is not in my notes, but I'm just, I'm walking through this because I really want to be, I want to be faithful to the text and what Paul is trying to do here. He's trying to say, here's how you live your life in light of the gospel, right? Let me, that, that's kind of the, the simple summation of this. And you're like, well, how does this, what does that have to do with hope? We're going to get there. But the hope comes from this doctrinal foundation for living, and that's what we're t- pulling apart right now. We're almost there. We're almost at the hope. But for now, he says, this is the the salvation that exists for today, or like I said, the already. Sometimes we speak of salvation as something in the future that's far off, but salvation begins in this present life. If you think of salvation as I'm saved so that one day I could enjoy that salvation, know that it begins today when you put your hope in Jesus. Now verse 13. Matter of fact, let me read verse 13 to you. While we look forward, now this is connected with verse 12, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. I don't know if you caught it, but there's another thing that's to be revealed. Did you see it in verse 11, that grace was revealed? What's revealed here that we look forward with hope? It's right in the text. The glory Hope revealed, glory revealed. There's the, there is the, an, a, an epiphany, there's an, a, a, a coming uh, that has already happened, the already, and there's a not yet. And we live between the already and the not yet. Motivated and strengthened by grace to live in between these two. And that's what Advent's about. We celebrate the, the, the coming that has already taken place and we wait for that is, that is yet to come. 
You see, while our salvation begins in the present life, which I made a point of saying a minute ago, our experience of God's rescue in this life is incomplete. We wait for what we call, and Paul says, not in this translation, but in your translation, the blessed hope. The blessed hope of Christ coming again. This is that word, epiphany, once again. This, uh, he's made an appearance and he's coming to appear again. Grace is revealed, now glory will be revealed. And this is Christ's second coming. So let's talk about hope, because that's the, the, the idea of this Advent week. Hope is used in, in Scripture over 200 times. And if you examine the word hope, it is used throughout the Bible, uh, as it's used throughout the Bible, it means the confident expectation in the future. Paul writes this in Romans 15, I pray that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. It means in contagious enthusiasm for what will come. The idea of hope is that you're looking forward to the future with enthusiasm, with confidence, with an expectation that there is something good coming. So this hope is not a wish. It's a certainty of blessing that will appear, that will happen when Christ appears again. This epiphany is different than the, the, the original. The, the hope was revealed in a manger in the person of Jesus Christ in his first coming. But this is not hidden. This is God's glory will be seen. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, that all creation groans and waits for. You see, earlier I said that sometimes hope is hard to come by. But we, we have this hope that he's coming back as we live between what he's already done and what he's yet to do. And the wait doesn't sound like something fun. We're going to talk about waiting here in the moment, but let me just say, as we wait for Christ's return, it is hope that carries us through the wait. So if hope's hard to come by, then hope's really the answer. Our hope, that glory will be revealed, that our hope in the second coming. That's what we look forward to. I know we talk about Advent, and sometimes we think it's just a, it's like, oh, I got to open a little door and eat a piece of chocolate, count down to Christmas. It's not just a countdown to Christmas. It's a time of preparing our heart, of reflecting on how he has come and how he's yet to come. We live in between those two. See, hope is not based on probabilities, but it's based on promises. The things that we hope for are usually based on probabilities. Um, I don't hope that the Seattle Seahawks will make the playoffs because the probabilities are pretty poor. You Colts fans, me have hope that the Colts will make a run in the playoffs because the probabilities are there. But there's no promise. There's no promise that you're basing that on. It's just pros- uh, probabilities. Hope based on probabilities is a hope that may or not come true. It is wishing for a good outcome and banking on probabilities. We're not wishing here, church. Did you, read, did you hear what I said earlier in Romans chapter 15? I pray that God, the source of hope, and we're, we're basing this on promises. We're not wishing for a good outcome. We have promises that we're basing it on, out on. You and I are banking on promises. Paul says this as he opens the book of Titus, which we are in, 
but just in chapter 1, the very beginning. Let me read it to you. You probably have it in front of you because it's open. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them who know the truth that show them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life with God who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Once again, hope based on a promise. Church, when God promises to do these things, he's going to keep his promise. He will do them. The promise that God has made for you and for me will happen. His son will return. You will not be condemned in Christ Jesus. You really are forgiven and cleansed. Let me say that again because some of us live life with that like check mark. We're forgiven and cleansed, but we don't live life as if we're forgiven and cleansed. You are forgiven and cleansed if you put your faith in Jesus. You are made new. And you will receive a redeemed and resurrected body. It's a promise. As we wait for Christ's return, it is hope that carries us through the wait. Finally, verse 14, Paul kind of ties up once again together. This, it's a power-packed verse. I'm not going to lay it out there because it goes back to that, that more practical uh, thing, which is really Titus's purpose in this. I just, I'm just camping out on his theological statements. But let me, let me just read verse 14. He gave his life. I mean, you can really preach a sermon off of this verse. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. There is hope for today as we hope for Christ's return. See, as we wait for Christ's return, it is hope that carries us through the wait. So what do we do about that? Well, first of all, embrace the wait. Now, I know how much you guys love waiting. We all love waiting, do we not? I almost said something like, couldn't that wait? But I, I didn't want to call you out. No, I'm, it's, it's just too convenient. I told her to leave at that moment. No, just kidding. Uh, we live in a culture that is everything possible to reduce the time, oh, to reduce the amount of time we spend waiting. And if you watch me in the grocery store on Thanksgiving Eve, you'll know that I did everything possible to reduce the amount of time waiting in line. Do you know when you move lines in the grocery store, you're just moving to a longer line, Right? It just looks shorter, but it's really going to be longer. Just want you to know, I could testify. <laughs> but we do. We don't want to wait. But Advent is a time of waiting. And the, the waiting reminds us where our hope is. And while we celebrate Jesus' birth, we also wait for our true hope to be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. I mentioned earlier that we live between the already and the not yet. We live in this space and so while we do that, the challenge is to embrace the waiting with hope because it is hope that indeed carries us through the wait. Hope fuels our faith. It draws us onward. This is a quote. It draws us onward, giving us expectation that our belief and longing will be fulfilled as God has promised. Paul, or the author of Hebrews, writes this in Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. One of my favorite authors, uh, Henry Nouwen, writes this about hope. Hope is, willingly, is willing to leave unanswered questions unanswered and unknown futures unknown 
Hope makes us see God's guiding hand not only in the gentle and pleasant moments, but also in the shadows of disappointment and darkness. May we allow this Advent season to serve as a reminder of the confidence that we have as we wait in hope for what we do not yet see. If you're not a believer today, we want to thank you for joining us uh, and being here. I'm not sure what brought you in the door. Questions about faith, exploring. Maybe there's things that you're kind of holding at arm's length that you're not so sure about. I, I hope through this message, what you heard was the message of Jesus. And normally at this point in the message, I, I say, here's what it's about. And I could do that, but I think that's been the content of this message. We were born separated from God, in need of rescue, in need of, uh, of deliverance bound to our selfish desires, born into sin, and nothing we can do to make ourselves right with, with God. But God takes the initiative, sends his son, Jesus Christ, and that's what this season's about, to live a life we could not live and die a death that we deserve in our place. And I said earlier in this message, to be made right with him, right standing and right relationship, and to be made new. And all we need to do and our heart and our mind has crossed that line of faith. I invite you to do that. Cross that line. Let me end with this message, and the band's going to come, and we're going to sing. With one more quote by my friend Henry Nouwen. It's not my friend. He's dead, and I don't really know him personally. But <laughs> it's what you call a distant mentor. In regards to Advent, in regards to waiting, in regards to hope, here's the quote. The Lord is coming, always coming. When you have ears to ear, hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment of your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. Man, it, if we can embrace the weight, we recognize that life is Advent. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We're going to sing this song in a moment, and let me close in prayer, and then we'll do that. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to live life together as a, as a congregation, to study your word together to be in community, to encourage one another with truth. Father, there are those of us today that need an encouragement that hope seems hard to come by. We thank you for the reminder that in this season of waiting that there is hope. We thank you that hope indeed carries us through. In Jesus' name, amen.